This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. This is a message you will be familiar with the uh, the concept of, and you may want to open firstly to Genesis chapter one. And I say you'll be the, aware of the concept of because I have preached on this this idea, and it's an important idea. Um, and I, I want to, I've sort of broken it down into this, uh, these images because I kind of want to give uh, young people and, and those who are uh, new in their Christian walk or struggling in their Christian walk, I want to give you an understanding of where the real battle happens. And because the real battle is not gosh darn it when something goes wrong. That's, that's not the real battle at all. When those things happen, that is called life. The real battle is how we respond to those things. That's where it's happening, and that's this inner turmoil of things when, when we're confronted with stuff. And so I want us to see the power of God's Word in this process. And so Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And the Bible makes this very clear from the opening verses of Scripture that God's Word is powerful. Then God said. Isn't it true that sometimes we wonder why we struggle with sin, even though we've been born again, if I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, we'll get into that in, in a moment. Why do I struggle with sin? And so we're going to go into a little diagram to help with that. So let's consider this process of growth in the Christian life and, uh, and let's just see uh, where this, um, uh, see what we can learn out of this. Now, Father, we thank you this morning, praise you for uh, our fellowship together, for our worship together here this morning, not only in song, but in prayer, in the Lord's suffering, uh, at that table of remembrance. Lord, also in the reading of scripture, our worship to you in that, in giving heed unto the word. Our worship to you, Lord, in focusing in on the message of the word of God. And so this morning we pray, Lord, that, that you would... Uh, help our hearts to be open, uh, not to the words of a man, but to your word, Lord, that we might receive divine light into our hearts, Lord God, the light of your word, that we might be able to say, I struggled with this issue, then God said, and you set us free. So we praise you and we thank you this morning in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, by whom we've been granted access unto you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, human life is fundamentally a uh, that we are a spirit. So the real you is the is the internal part, not the body. The body is this shell in which the internal part of you 
uh, groans its way around existence. And, uh, and But you are comprised of much more than just a body. The body is the part we interact with, and it's the shallowest part of everything. So much of our world is focused upon external beauty or ugliness, um, as some of us may be more blessed with. Um, but the body is simply a house in which the real you dwells. That's all it is. And so the external, you know, the external is almost completely irrelevant, except that it gives you the means by which you uh, contact and interact in the world. But that's still done through the senses which are stemming from the internal you. Does all of that make sense? Now, some people see us simply as a a two-part being, that the spirit and the body, uh, that's that's all we are, and some see us as a three-part or a tripartite being, spirit, soul, and body. Um, And I I think in many ways that debate really doesn't matter um, because what we're talking about here, and you're going to see this as somewhat a a three-part kind of diagram, but... I want you to think of the inner man versus the outer man, okay? So we're going to be talking about the inner man this morning and looking at what takes place in the inner man. So the inner man is sometimes described as the soul um, and more often and maybe more correctly described as the inner man. What you really are within. And so when we think about the inner man, we, we can think of three main realms of what comprises the inner man. And these realms are the realm of thinking or the mind, the realm of the will or actions, which still stems out of the mind, and the realm of the of feelings or emotions, which was often called the, the heart, but the Bible, when it refers to the heart, is speaking really about the mind. And so the inner you, the, the person that contacts other people, this engaging of feelings and actions and everything is all stemming from thought processes and, and from this emotional engagement with people that is all stemming out of life's experiences and all this kind of stuff that informs you and affects you in certain ways so that when you engage with people, you have certain responses. If you think objectively about yourself, you will know that when you're in certain situations with people, um, you know, maybe with your unsaved family members, that there might be an element in which you kind of clam up a little bit or something and, and you don't behave as openly with them as you would with your Christian brothers and sisters. That that something of the bond is kind of lost with those people and, and there's something of a bond with Christians that you don't get to experience with other, with other people and there is a liberty in that relationship that is quite freeing. And this is all because your inner man is informed by the experiences of life and by the new life of Christ within you. And so uh, this is where the stuff of life really happens is in this area of thoughts, actions, feelings, mind, will, emotions. You know, it's all the inner man. So when a person is born again, 
behold, the Spirit of God comes into that person and in the inner man, they're transformed. Now, sometimes, over a period of time, you see that the outer person also takes on a change. That something has so radically changed in that person that, that the, the, the downcast spirit that was affected so much by sin has been lifted and there's a brightness to their lives and there's, a, uh, there's something that changes within them that people begin to notice. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 declares, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hallelujah. That's the place to say hallelujah. But there is some confusing language in that verse because it says, The old has gone. And it uses the tenses of the perfect past tense, that the old has gone and the new has come. And so, you know, there's a, there can be a little bit of a problem with that because sometimes we think, well, if the old has gone, then, then why, if I'm a new creation and the old has gone, then why am I struggling with sin? Have you ever asked yourself that question, why do I struggle with sin? If I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and the old has gone and I am made new, I'm a new man, why am I struggling with sin? And my belief is that it's in this realm of the inner man that the the mind, will and emotions that we've been spending many years sowing habits into that area or we're like the, the dog I've told you about in the past, that if you kick a dog, it walks funny, that we've learned to behave in a certain way because we've been affected by, by life's experiences. And so, you know, when, when we encounter those kinds of experiences again, there are automatic reactions in us that cause us to shut off to people or cause us to respond in a certain way. Uh, I've told you that um, when Suzanne and I were newlyweds and, um, uh, you know, we were living like we were living in the worst flat, man. It was just horrible, but, you know, that was, that was life. That's what you do. And, um, uh, you know, we were, one day we were just playing around and we were having a bit of a wrestle and stuff and, uh, and so I pinned Suzanne on the floor and I was tickling her because I, I just knew that it kind of annoyed her. And so... Uh, I was doing this, which is not, you know, that's not a smart way to, to behave in your marriage. But, but at one point in the process of us kind of messing around, at one point my arm came up in this sort of motion and, uh, and instantly Suzanne flinched. And so, you know, at this point I began to learn about these learned responses. She'd been in a in violent relationship uh, for a number of years uh, had grown up with a somewhat violent father who got saved um, right before he he died. Praise God! And uh, but there was a learned response there, and and I was devastated. I was actually more wounded than her because I was devastated to think that she would think that me moving my arm like this was was in some way a threatening uh, a threatening movement. That's a learned response. That's, that's what that is. It's, as someone call it, a, a reflex or, or an instinct. 
But there is this question, and it's a valid question. If I'm a new creation, why do I struggle with sin? But think about your life prior to Christ. You sowed a lot of sin into your inner man. You and I did that. And if you got saved when you were very young, you were spared much sin. Praise God. But sin and its sinful habits deeply embeds itself in our lives. And it is this process of growth that helps us in uncovering these habits and in being able to overcome them. And that's what we want to talk about. Because there are a lot of years of wrongdoing that require some undoing. That's called sanctification. We've talked about this many times. From salvation to glorification. In the process, God is sanctifying you. And that process is as Romans 8.29 says, is the part, the work of God in us to conform us to the image of Christ, that we're being made to look more like Jesus in this world. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, when it talks about the, the Christian's armour necessary for the battle. I mean, you know... I have never uh, been in the army and and I admire those who have served the country uh, in the army and we've just had um, that great remembrance of 75 years of the D-Day invasion and, um, you know, what an amazing uh, event that was and the many miracles that took place in order for that to succeed. But Ephesians 6 paints this picture of going to battle and it talks all about the armour and in verse 16 and 17 it says, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So for years, you and I sowed into the flesh, in this part of our lives, we sowed into the flesh, and then, as Paul talks about, and if you were to go into Ephesians and look back into chapter 4, you'll see that Paul gives an amazing Uh, instruction in very practical ways. It says, you know, put off stealing and put on working. What what was stealing? This was a, a nasty bad action in here, stemming out of a corrupt heart is what that is, because it's a heart that is coveting the things that other people want, or maybe it's a heart that is lazy and instead of working says, well, why can't I have those things? I'll just take them off he who has. And Paul says, put off stealing. So get rid of that thing out of the heart and put on working. And while you're at it, he says, so that you can feed yourselves and look after yourself. And while you're at it, lay aside a little bit so that you can supply to other people who have need. So Paul tackles the issue of 
theft and this heart issue with it. And he says, you know what? To deal with that heart issue, take care of supplying for yourself and your family, but also keeping some aside so that when you encounter someone who has need, you've got it there to provide for them. Now, that is what Paul is doing. He's tackling the inner man. He's he's working on on a disciplined approach to dealing with the inner man. Praise God. So for years we sow to the flesh and develop many sinful behaviours and these behaviours are embedded in the inner man, in the mind, will and emotions. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. You can open your Bibles there. I think it would be good for you to turn there. I'll take a drink while you do that. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or another translation says your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind the renewal of the inner man, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, in the realm of the inner man, the Bible says Paul is talking to the Roman believers and he's saying to them, there's a process at work here. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks. You have to be transformed. And so he's talking about an ongoing process. If you were to uh, talk to Christians from 60 years ago and introduce them suddenly to the impacts of the world today, they would be horrified by the kind of social pressures on believers today that we have to deal with as part of the social climate, the, the social engineering and stuff. They would be shocked by that. And this is why Paul is talking about a constant renewal of the mind. Because things within the world are always descending further and further away from the glory of heaven. And Paul calls you and I that we would be transformed further away from that. Not conforming to the world, but being transformed. How? By this renewal of the inner man. The renewing of the mind. This renewal of the inner man is a renewal of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's, it's all the inner man. And transforming the inner man is inseparably linked to the Word of God, to a devotional life with God, to the Holy Spirit taking that Word and making it real in our lives. This is God's living Word. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is almost the New Testament version of Jeremiah 17, 19, that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who 
can comprehend it, I, the Lord, try the reins, and it's God who exposes to us the wickedness and the wrongdoing and the, and the wrong workings of our heart to show us where we are in error that we might be transformed by the power of his word. So can you see even from Hebrews 4 where the word of God is doing its work? It's doing its work deep in us, separating the soul and the spirit. And, and it's my belief that this separation of the soul there is separating our thinking from God's thinking, that new and reborn spirit of God in us, that Within our lives, God is showing to us wrong thinking. We'll get to that a little bit more because this is the real work in the inner man. This is what God is doing within us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I know you've heard me belt on about this passage many times. But it is... A vital passage for us. Second Corinthians ten, beginning at verse one. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am I who am humble when face to face with you but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, Paul is not saying that when he's with them, he's timid, but he's saying that that when he was with them, he was able to uh, share in this fellowship and he wasn't having to be bold with them. He was able to be humble, but he went away And something has arisen and he's had to show some boldness toward them in a way that he didn't have to do when he was there. And so the indictment is not upon Paul's actions. The indictment is upon the actions of others once Paul went away, is what he's talking about there. But moving on, because that's not the main focus of it. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, in, in these bodies, we're not waging war according to the flesh. This inner man. We're not waging war according to our own feelings, actions and thoughts. The corrupt man. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or not carnal as some translations say, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Some of you have been Christians long enough to know that um, in the 90s and on into the early 2000s, there were some very strange and heretical uh, movements that took place And there was a lot of quoting of one phrase out of this passage. And that was 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And, and that phrase would be quoted and, and um, you know, if I speak about Frankston as an example, some of the churches involved in that um, charismatic chaos would, would talk about getting up to the high spot over Frankston and praying for dominion over the city and casting down the strongholds over the city and, uh, and then basing that on Jesus' teachings about the, uh, you know, the enemy being cast out and then coming back. And, you know, and so I used to say to people, so what happens when you go home, though? Like if you're casting out these spirits over the city and you go home, what if they come back? Oh, we've got to go back and do it again. And it was like, you know, you're not seeing the point. Oh, of the scripture. The point of this text is not about that. The point of the text is about strongholds within you and I, strongholds of thinking. That's what the text is about. Paul is not speaking of some kind of spiritual warfare movement other than you and I tearing down strongholds of error within so that that error can be replaced with truth. It's not always an easy thing. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And as one author said, when he quoted that, he said, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, but first it will make you miserable. Because dealing with the truth is sometimes hard, because we've got things that we're hanging on to. And whether it's a, a doctrine or whether it's a behavior, whatever it might be, and God brings some revelation to us about that, letting go of that behavior or letting go of that teaching to allow the truth to take its place in our lives can sometimes be a very difficult thing. So... Paul is saying that the real battle for spirituality, the real battle is in the strongholds of your mind. You can Google castles and strongholds and you'll see this picture. It's fantastic. I can't remember where it is. It's, it's, uh, it's about 600 years old, this castle, and um, it is fortified. From every angle, uh, it was fortified. And you'll see a couple of things that are very interesting. You'll see that the castle is on a hill. It's set on a high place. And Paul talks about this idea that the that we pull down these strongholds because they take ascendancy in our minds. They're things we hang on to and sometimes if we're triggered and and it it might be a behavior that we think we have a right to and we get triggered and we behave that way it then takes its ascendancy over our lives and and let's say for example it's pride or it's arrogance or it's or it's outbursts of wrath that takes ascendancy and so we justify it that This was a a righteous anger. And we justify it, but we, and righteous anger is, is a righteous thing, don't get me wrong, but righteous anger is still under the 
and under the governance of the fruit of the Spirit, the principal element of that, the fruit of the Spirit being, and the first one being love. So even righteous anger must be governed by love. It's not just a letting loose and a storming away. It's none of those things. But it is a love for others to see them set free or, or a love for others that this sin might be conquered, a love for others that drives and is a motivation for that behavior. And that will then temper that display of anger and cause it to be, should it be necessary, anger that is indeed righteous. See, the real strongholds that you and I have are strongholds in the inner man. And they're sometimes strongholds we can't even see. And as we go through the Christian life and we're reading the Bible, we see things that the Scripture talks about, and suddenly the Holy Spirit just pokes away, just needles our heart a little bit, and we go, really, Lord, is that... Do I have this? Lord, I thought I was so like Jesus, I was about to be glorified. (laughs) And the Lord says, yea, and verily, it ain't so. You still have some conforming, some transforming to happen, some conformity to the image of Christ, some transforming away from the world to take place, my child. And it's happening in here. And I'm showing it to you. There is something that has to happen. So so what is Paul saying in this? Pay attention. That this is how I see the process happening. That as you and I are dealing with these issues of sin in our lives that these strongholds are being weakened. And so, you know, I couldn't shrink it down and all this kind of stuff. But but they're being weakened, and whatever that stronghold might be, that and we, we sense that happening in our lives, don't we? That that we start to snap. Maybe that anger is come back coming, you know, on and we start to snap and then all of a sudden we say, Hey man, I'm sorry, that response was wrong. We're being prompted. The Holy Spirit is prompting us because He's woken us up to it as we've been reading His Word. He's shown us, or or we think, oh, I'll just take this pen from work, it doesn't matter. And so then the Holy Spirit triggers us and we think, man, stop stealing. Buy my own pen. Buy someone else a pen. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and I love how this translation picks this up, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The King James says, from glory to glory. But I love how this just opens that up a little, that we're being transformed from one degree of glory. When you got saved, God did an amazing work in your life. The Spirit of God, remember, He came into your life and many strongholds were really dealt with very quickly, and it was like you were shifted from totally inglorious 
to an amazing degree of glory. But from that time onwards, God is continuing to change you and shape you from one degree of glory to another as you behold the Lord. And I tell you, that's not going to happen without spending time with him. And that happens as we spend time in his word and his word starts transforming us in the inner man. That's where it takes place, beloved. The word of God in the inner man overcomes these strongholds. Remember, we mentioned before Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Paul's not concerned about the body. He doesn't care about that. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You see, as we're being conformed more and more into the image of Christ and away from the world, more and more we become attuned to the will of God. We become aware of that and we're able to confirm things that are the will of God. I've made some dumb decisions in my life because I have a somewhat rash personality and it's not so much these days but it still happens sometimes I get something in my mind I want I just want to go and do it you know I just want to go and do it and it's it's sometimes difficult for me to temper that and uh, and just hold that back you know because it'd be good to go and do that there'd be some enjoyment some pleasure in that And that's one of the areas that God, over time, is still working on me, you know? And I praise him for his patience. This is the lifelong call for your life. What what is God calling you to? There's lots of things I don't know about what God is calling you to, but I know something. He is going to transform you in this part, that by the power of his word and his spirit within, you are transformed from looking like the world and conformed to looking like Jesus. Turn to Romans 8, 29. See, to the degree that this is happening, you are seeing the fulfillment of Romans 8, 29. This is God's purpose for you. Are you going to be a missionary to Uganda? I don't know. Some might say, no, not Uganda, but I feel Fiji coming on, you know. Um, Hawaii, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, that this is God's will. For those whom he foreknew, foreknew, he also what? He also what? To be conformed. There's real predestination for you. If you want to get into arguments about predestination, argue that. 
that those who are already in Christ, they're the ones he foreknew to be predestined to the image of Christ. That's what, that is an, uh, that you can't argue with that. This is what God wants for you. His will is that you would be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's God's will for your life. And that is happening, happening there. That's where it's taking place, that you and I being shaped by the word of God, being molded by that. I tell you, there, there is huge, oh, there are huge influences now um, in the world that have, that have become much more potent in the last gen- decade. And if we had been tuned in as believers, we would have seen this coming a lot quicker and we wouldn't all be going, wow, the world is changing so much so quickly. We, we would not have been so caught by surprise with this. But there's so much social engineering going on within our society at the moment that just for standing, and, and you can see um, a street preacher in Canada just a few days ago, standing, preaching from Scripture, and he is talking about God's love for sinners, and he gets hounded by a mob, and eventually the police come and arrest him for disorderly conduct. And he he was really saying nothing overly um, divisive. He was just being a Christian on the street, street preaching. That's all he was doing. And he was arrested, I believe, entirely falsely. This, this is in Canada. We're not talking about Pakistan. You know? We're not talking about Saudi Arabia. This is, this is Canada, one of the heartlands of Western democracy. And so, beloved, what I do know is that as all of this social engineering is taking place, just as today's conservative government parties are being shifted way to the left so that now the choice out of the two major parties is a choice of extreme left or left. Just, just like that's what it is. Oh, for you guys, it's over here, right? Extreme left, Labor Greens, left, Lib, Lib Nats, right? Just like that. And then you get a, a conservative party who 30 years ago or 40 years ago would just look like the Menzies Liberal Party, right? And, and have policies that are entirely in, in sync with, with, uh, with Liberal Party from back then. Now they're called the extreme right-wing fringe neo-Nazis, etc., etc., just for having what was traditionally liberal values. The same is happening to the church. The church is being pulled more and more and more into conformity with the world. But God is calling you and I as believers to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that means we will stand over here in a lonely world that many believers will point the finger and say, look at you, you're, you're so judgmental. 
You say, you will stand up and say, God loves sinners so much, he would die to set drunkards free, like Izzy Falau said, and to set free the, the thief, and to set free the murderer from the sin, and to set free the homosexual. Oh, homophobe! Homophobe! That's where we're at today. And this is why you and I need to understand, just like they hated Jesus for no reason, no righteous reason, they hated him for no righteous reason, they will hate you for the very same thing. If you love Jesus, you will be hated by the world. So it's imperative that you and I are conformed more and more to the image of Christ the transforming power of his word and his spirit in the inner man, making us more like Jesus. Because only as we are conformed to the image of Christ will we stand against this this tidal wave of humanism, of antichrist spirit that is in the world today. It's It won't be churches that stand. It will be individual believers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is God's predestination for you. To look like Jesus. That's a pretty good predestination. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, for the love that you've shown us in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, if we've been negligent of your word to fall in love with it again. Help us, Lord, if we've given passions and desires to other things in the world to first of all be passionate and desiring of you in your word, of seeking you in prayer and in devotion. Lord, help us to resist the call and the pull of the world by not so much fighting against those things, but by aligning ourselves with you. And you will then establish the line of demarcation, Lord, that will cause the world to hate us. But oh, what sweet joy it will be to know that we are loved of you. So we praise you in these changing times, Lord. Let us hold nearer and dearer to you. And Lord, let us also sense your beautiful grasp on our lives that we might know your love for us in your son amen hallelujah thank you for listening to this message you're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.